when Dr. Theodore Strange stood waiting at the start line of the New York City Marathon in 2018. Nothing was out of the ordinary. The weather was perfect, and the course ahead was familiar to him. This was the 59-year-old's 25th time to run this marathon. The race started well, but at mile marker 16, as he wove his way through the runners and high-fived the fans, Strange heard another voice screaming, Help! Help! He says, I looked over, and in the middle of the street, a woman was standing over her friend who was lying on the ground. And he said, my instincts took over as a physician. I stopped running and went to be over her. Approaching the fallen runner, the physician immediately knew something was wrong. You see, this woman's face was turning blue. She wasn't breathing, and she started to foam at the mouth. When Dr. Strange knelt beside her to check the pulse on her wrist, he felt nothing. Without hesitation or thinking about his cramping legs, the doctor started performing CPR. And when the chest compressions weren't working, he shouted for the nearest police officer to bring him a defibrillator from a nearby medical tent, which delivers a medical electric shock to jumpstart the heart. Well, they set up the defibrillator and delivered the shock, the machine advised. Still, the woman wasn't responsive. When they shocked her again, she didn't respond, nor did she move after the third shock. Finally, after a fourth shock, the woman twitched and began to move. She had a pulse again, Dr. Strange said, and we were all relieved. Still, it was a serious situation. The woman needed to be immediately sent to a hospital in case she fell into cardiac arrest again. Dr. Strange waited by her side as the EMS staff loaded her onto a stretcher and into an ambulance. While they were waiting, a police officer asked the doctor what I was going to do. I told the officer, he writes, I have to finish this race for her. As the ambulance pulled away, Strange picked up his pace again. His legs felt heavy with lactic acid. He finally made it to his family a few miles up the street, and he promptly broke down in tears. It hit me what had happened, he said. I couldn't stop thinking about whether she was all right or not. Encouraged by his family, Strange forged ahead, eventually finishing the New York City Marathon in five hours and 16 minutes. Once he crossed the line, he immediately sought out police officers to check on the woman's status. He learned that thanks to his quick care, she was alive and stable at the hospital. He says, people have been calling me a hero, but I was just doing what I was trained to do. We have a saying in New York, he says, if you see something say something. But my personal philosophy has always been, if you see something, do something. That whole time that I was helping this woman, not a single runner stopped. I get it, he notes. We all want to run a fast time, but it's our obligation to help someone who needs it. There are some things that are more important in life. My friends, so many of us are running this race called life. But as we run this race, we're just trying to finish first. We're trying to finish with the fastest times, even though, if you think about it, there is no price for finishing first in this life. And so we don't run with a sense of purpose. We run from one point to another, and we wouldn't let anyone who is in need stop us. More than 2,000 years ago, there were a lot of runners that Resurrection Sunday or Easter Sunday. 
people running all over the place for all various reasons. How they ran affected their outlook in life. We want to study these runners because the type of race you run in life will determine your motivation, your joy, your satisfaction, your purpose. You know, I found that people usually run the race of life out of a sense of necessity or a sense of obligation and perhaps some with a sense of purpose. What type of runner are you as you run this race called life? When the alarm clock rings early in the morning to get you out of bed, do you jump out of bed with excitement to face the world? Or do you lay frozen in bed dreading the start of a new day? Where do you find your purpose? Where do you find your motivation? Turn with me in your Bibles today to John chapter 20 as we take a look at verses 1 to 8. John chapter 20 verses 1 to 8. We want to take a look at what the Bible tells us about those runners on that first Easter morning. Reading from John chapter 20, verses 1 and 2. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Mary Magdalene had gone with some other women, as Luke chapter 24 tells the same corresponding incident. They went early that Sunday morning to put spices on the body of Jesus Christ to help with the natural decomposition process. But they didn't see the body, and so they wrongly assumed that perhaps someone had stolen the body or perhaps grave robbers had desecrated the tomb. So she ran to where the other disciples who were still in Jerusalem were congregating and told them of this news. Somehow, Mary was confused. Or perhaps she had forgotten that Jesus had told them that when He died, after three days, He would rise again. You see, Mary had gone to the tomb because that's what you do to people who have died in the early first century. You go and put spices on the body. It was just something that you did. It was custom. It was tradition. She was going through the motions, perhaps out of necessity, as to why she did it. Yes, we don't question her bravery or her devotion to Jesus to go and to do this while being associated with Jesus, especially on that weekend, could put your life in danger. But if there was an ancient checklist to do for someone who had died, That was what you did. She didn't expect to experience a resurrected Savior. She thought that Jesus was still dead and she was going to add to her ancient checklist to put the spices on his body. She represented a runner who was running this race called life out of necessity. Look at what she said. They've taken the body of the Lord and we can't find it so that we can put spices on it. The body was important for her. How can I do what I need to do if I can't find the body? What an inconvenience! The body isn't there. You know you know that feeling when you have a list of things to do? You have a list of things to accomplish, and it's so satisfying that when you finish it, you can check it off. But it's annoying when you have a list and you can't check it off. In her schedule... In her necessity-driven mindset, she missed the bigger picture. There was no body, and that is a wonderful news. 
Of course, we know there is no body and that the body isn't there because Christ had risen. He had conquered death. But for Mary that morning, she characterizes one who runs this race of life out of necessity. You know, my friends, there are lots of Christians who simply go through the motions of the Christian life out of necessity because they know they have to do certain things. They are living their lives simply waiting for the coming of the Lord or for Jesus to call them home. The less challenge you give them, the less call for changes in their lives, the less life transformation they see that would make them guilty of having to make the same changes in their life is a good thing. I'm a Christian. That's good enough for me. I'll wait until the Lord calls me home. They like things that are planned. They don't want any deviations in their life. They don't want God to interrupt their life and mess up their life. They want everything to always be the same. These are people who run out of necessity. These are Christians who run the Christian life with the motivation to simply do it because they need to do it. But you know what characterizes these types of people? These people are people without joy. When you do something out of a sense of necessity, you won't have joy. If you know our family, you know that we love to travel as a family. And to ensure that our three children were good travelers, especially when they were young, we had a rule. We allowed them to buy something every day when we went on vacation. We put a a set price on their daily gifts. You know, little kids, uh, the motivation of when they travel is to buy something. And so we'd set a little budget like 300 pesos or $6, a little token you can buy each day. Now, we had a rule that if you whine or complain or don't listen or are disobedient, especially when we're telling them to do something, then that amount for your daily gift would be subtracted. But if they do something good or are especially kind or or thoughtful, then they are given a bump in the amount of their daily gift. It was completely arbitrary. Mom and dad got to make all of the rules. The kids knew this rule well, and it had made our trips very enjoyable, especially when the kids were all relatively young travelers back then. A few years ago, our family got some really cheap last-minute fares to Taipei over Christmas break, and so we went. And so we set the daily prize gift for the kids at 200 NT, or about 300 pesos. On the first day of our trip in Taipei, Janelle, my youngest daughter, was especially close to me. She would come and she would hold my hands and she just simply wanted to be with me. I thought, wow, you know, I need to spend more time with my daughter. She must miss me so much because I'm so busy at work that she would come and hold my hands all throughout the day. I really need to make it a point to spend more time with my daughter because she keeps holding my hands. Then towards the end of the day at a toy store, my warm, fuzzy feelings of the love my daughter was showing me and the thoughts that I have of how much she cared for me was all shattered when my then six-year-old told me, Daddy, how much money do I get for holding your hands all day today? My soul was crushed. 
Now I know what living a life out of necessity feels like and results in. There is no joy. There is no eternal purpose. There's only a shallow temporary purpose. And that unfortunately characterizes so many Christians these days. We only do certain spiritual disciplines because we want to get the prize that we think that God will give us if we do it. Imagine the Savior who died and rose again for us and how He must feel when we simply go through the motions. When we come to church or do our devotions out of necessity, thinking that if somehow we don't do it, God's punishment will be upon us. Or it's simply on our list and it makes us feel good that we go through the prefunctory functions of praying and reading the Bible. And when we do those things, hopefully... God will remember and see, and He will bless us. To be honest, if we assess our lives, we find more joy in doing other things like watching Netflix than doing anything for the Lord. Because for us, anything that relates to our spiritual life in our relationship with the Lord is simply out of necessity. We know we have to do it. Mary ran to Peter and John and the other disciples only worried about the body that was missing. She was not able to put the spices on the body of Jesus, and she completely missed the picture that the missing body was a good thing. It was the culmination of what Jesus had said to them, that He would die but would rise again. Now look at me at verses 3 to 5 of John chapter 20. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple, and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes laying there, yet he did not go in. After Mary told them that the body of Jesus was not there, there was a foot race between Peter and John to see who would make it to the tomb first. And John won the foot race. As you know, Peter and John have had a rivalry since the beginning of Jesus' ministry as to who would be the one who would be honored, who would be Jesus' right-hand man. Remember, James and John even asked to be number one and two after Jesus established His kingdom. Notice in verse 3, Peter seemed to be the first to react, to go out. And so it seems that John went because Peter went. I assume this is the case because this is John's writing and notes Peter's name first in the Greek text. Now, we don't want to read too much into it, but perhaps John wanted to go only because Peter went or had the same curiosity. But John won the foot race, perhaps because he was younger, and he went to the empty tomb, but for some reason, John never went in. He proved he was faster than Peter, He outran Peter, but he got to the front and he didn't go in. What does the Bible tell us? The Bible tells us that John saw the grave clothes, but that was it. He was a spectator. Perhaps he was afraid of defiling himself because Jews at that time were not allowed to go near the body of dead people. And so John may not have really believed at that point that Jesus had resurrected because from his vantage point, He saw some of the grave linen clothes lying there, but he could only see a little bit because he stood by the entrance. 
Can I just say that it doesn't matter if you're the first to anything, if you don't do what needs to be done. You know, many Christians claim many firsts. They claim to be the first one in their family to read through the entire Bible. Or they simply claim to have read the entire Bible, perhaps even multiple times. Yet they never apply the truths they read. Their lives are never transformed. Many Christians will say, you know what? I get first place. I get first prize. I've never missed a Sunday morning worship for 25 years at church. But for them, it's an attendance achievement. They come, they are seen, supposedly someone takes their attendance and checks that they are there, but that's it. They walk away week after week without allowing the Scriptures to convict them of anything. And now with this ongoing pandemic, we have virtual worship services, and you can watch videos on demand of messages. You know, I've heard there's something called binge-watching. Right? You'll binge watch through an entire series or an entire uh, set of shows. Recently, I heard from someone that they binge watch sermon series. They won't go to church for three or four Sundays because they forgot. And to make up, they will spend one day and binge watch sermons. Think about that. I wonder how much you can really apply when you hear God's Word and binge-watch it through the weekend, how much application can you apply to your life hearing the Scriptures if you're convicted by anything you hear? Many Christians will say, well, we pray consistently, but it's such a generic prayer before the three meals, but they count it as their prayer. Dear God, thanks for the food. And they pride themselves in always praying before they eat. They pride themselves that they have never not forgotten to pray in a day. But you know what happens? When the big problems of life comes, they don't know what to do. They forget to pray. I hope you're beginning to see my point. You see, it doesn't matter if you're first. It doesn't matter if you have other spiritual records or spiritual achievements. It doesn't matter if you just simply accumulate those things and it does nothing for you or you do nothing with it. John represents someone who runs the Christian life or runs the race of life out of obligation. He perhaps says, Peter was running, so I better run with him, not wanting to be left behind. He won the race, but that was it. Nothing was accomplished, nothing changed, nothing was done. I'm reminded of this often told story. Two hikers were walking through the woods when they suddenly were confronted by a a giant bear. And immediately, one of the men took off his boots and began to put on a pair of running shoes. What are you doing, cried his companion. You know we can't outrun the bear even with running shoes. The man turned to his friend and said, who cares about outrunning the bear? All I have to worry about is outrunning you. You know, there are many Christians who run this Christian life out of a sense of obligation because they have to win. They have to be the leader. They have to be seen as a spiritual giant. But you know what this obligation produces? It produces an emptiness. It produces an unsatisfactory feeling. Because instead of running because you want to, you run the Christian life because you're obliged to. And there are so many people who do things 
because of ulterior motives. And when you do things out of ulterior motives, it's never truly satisfying because the purpose is not pure. Let me ask you something. If some of you are running the Christian life out of obligation, do you have accomplishments to speak of but have nothing to show for? When I think about uh, traveling, I really miss it because it's been curbed due to the pandemic. But do you remember the scene? Perhaps this will give an example of the principle we're talking about. Remember what happens when, especially those of us who are always in a rush, like to do when the plane lands? I'm sure this scene has played out in your minds many a time. The plane lands. The jet bridge is connected to the plane. You have your things ready because you are ready to race out of the airplane. And you have other runners that are ready to go with you. You want to be the first. You don't want to get caught up in any line. And so you kind of push and shove. Forget the elderly. Forget the little kids. You have to go through the line. And so you work your way to the front. You get to the door quickly. You walk at a fast pace. Perhaps you jog. You want to rush through the health lines. And you want to get to the immigration lines first. And then you are feeling so accomplished that you got in front of the line before everyone else. And then you get through immigration, and what happens? You get to the baggage carousel, and you have to wait. And you wait and wait, and you wait and wait. And as you wait, you turn around, and you see that the people who you had passed had now come through the immigration line. Right? You know that feeling? And you're saying, hurry, hurry, luggage, come out. I need to beat them, as if it's a race. And you see them coming, and you see them come, and they stand next to you as they also wait for their luggage. And what's the most annoying thing? The most annoying thing is when their luggage comes out first. Right? You, you, you rush through to try to get out of the airport, but then their luggage comes through, and one after each other, those people who were behind at the back of the airplane somehow got their luggage, and were through the airport before you get yours. You know that feeling, don't you? It's annoying. And that is the feeling of many Christians who run the race of life out of a sense of obligation because they say to themselves, I've done everything right. I've accomplished all spiritual achievements and records. But how come my life is like this? How come those who seemingly don't run as hard seem to be blessed by the Lord when you keep running out of legalistic rules? you will feel empty because you have run your life out of a sense of obligation and you will not enjoy your relationship with the Lord. Look at verses 6 to 8 for the third type of runner. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb and he saw the linen clothes laying there and the handkerchief that had been around his head not lying with the linen clothes but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who came to the tomb first, went in also, and he saw and believed. Peter arrived later than John, the Bible says. And he went right into the tomb. Now when you read this, you may wonder, why didn't Peter stop as well? Why didn't Peter stop? Why did he head right on in? Wouldn't he have wondered why John was by the entrance and had not gone in? 
Shouldn't he have thought, is something wrong? Were there Roman soldiers hiding that were ready to arrest them? I'm sure if we saw that people were stopped, we would stop as well. But Peter charged right on in. Why? Because Peter was running with a purpose. He wanted to see if the Christ had risen. He wasn't afraid of defiling himself because perhaps he knew that Christ had risen just as he said. Peter wanted to go see for himself that Jesus Christ had risen just as he said. And so he went in. And notice what the Bible says in verse 8. And then John goes in after. When Peter goes in, he saw the evidence that proved the resurrection of Jesus. He saw the grave, the linen clothes, but also the burial clothes around his head, not with the rest of the grave clothes, which only a resurrected person could have done. And the grave clothes was folded nicely even. When he saw that, he believed. His faith was solidified. Think about the unique phenomenon of grave clothes looking as if the body was in them, but the body wasn't there. Undoubtedly, it would have recalled in their minds Jesus' previous words about His resurrection. You see, a grave robber wouldn't have left the clothes in such good order as they would look for valuables buried with the persons and then quickly get out of there. They wouldn't fold the linens of the dead. But here's something that's unique. You know, that's why oftentimes you see churches around the world, they will drape the cross with linen because it was the linen that proved to Peter and John that the Savior had indeed been resurrected and conquered death. His body was no longer there. Finally, John goes in. He saw what Peter saw, and the Bible says he also believed. When one goes in to the race of life with a purpose, they begin to see in ways that others would not see as well. You will begin to see God at work in people's life. You will begin to see the evidences that we believe in a risen living Savior. Remember, all three runners saw the same scene. But the first two, Mary and John, missed the whole picture. It was Peter who first saw and believed because he was running with a purpose. He went straight on in. And in other biblical passages, we're told that when they understood that Jesus was resurrected, they were filled with joy. My friends, do you have joy in your life because you recognize and realize that you and I live for and serve a risen Savior, and He is at work in your life, and He's at work in other people's lives. When you run with a sense of purpose, you run with a purpose because you acknowledge the resurrected Savior in your life. And when that happens, there is joy in your life. Dr. Siemens tells of a Muslim who became a Christian in Africa. Some of his friends asked him, why have you become a Christian? They asked this man who had converted. He answered, well, it's like this. Supposedly, you are going down a road, and suddenly the road forked into two directions, and you didn't know which way to go. And at the fork of the road were two men. On one side was a man who was dead, and on the other side was a man who was alive. Which one will you ask for directions 
in which way to go. Of course, you ask the one who is alive. That is running with purpose. Because you and I do not follow a dead Savior. You and I follow a risen living Savior. And we get our life's command from someone who has conquered the grave and is very much alive. That's why there should be in our Christian community, whether verbally or mentally, that when someone's transformed, changed life, is shouting, Christ is risen, He is alive in my life, that our reply is simply also, yes, He is risen indeed, He is alive as well, because He has changed and transformed my life as well, and is continuing to do so. My friends, what is the purpose of your life? When you run this race called life, do you run with a purpose? Do you wake up every morning out of bed with a joy in your heart because you realize there is a purpose for you to fulfill? Peter ran with purpose, went straight into the tomb, and left very much satisfied. He saw what he needed to see that Jesus Christ was alive because His body wasn't there. He had risen and He began His own journey of restoration and He became one of the boldest spokesmen for the Lord. What about you? When you and I are reminded that we serve a risen Savior, does it elicit an excitement in your life? Will you begin to run with purpose? You know, the purpose of your life does not have to begin when you get a horrible disease. It doesn't begin when you lose your job. It doesn't begin when you have been rejected or you lose a loved one or perhaps you are rejected in love. It begins when you acknowledge and believe in the resurrected living Savior and see Him at work in your life and in the life of other people. Run with purpose, my friends. The purpose to live for God's glory by fulfilling the great commission, showing forth the great commandment, because we serve a risen Savior. One of my favorite stories is the story told of the British minister, Sangster, W.E. Sangster. Sangster began to lose his voice and mobility in the mid-1950s. He had a disease that caused progressive muscular atrophy. And when he recognized that his end was near, he threw himself into writing and praying. In the midst of his suffering, he pleaded to the Lord, let me stay in the struggle. Let me stay in the struggle. Stangster's voice eventually completely failed, and his legs became useless. On one particular Easter morning, just a few weeks before his death, he took a pen and shakily wrote his daughter a letter. In it, he said, It is terrible to wake up on Easter morning and have no voice with which to shout, He is risen. But it would be still more terrible to have a voice and not want to shout. You and I have a voice. Why don't you and I want to shout out to the world about the living Savior, Jesus Christ? And we do so through a transformed life a life that is radically changed towards Christ-likeness. Can that be said of your life? 
that every day you are proclaiming with the voice that you have through a transformed, changed life, the God I believe in is very much alive. Jesus is alive. And that is what gives us hope and purpose. That's why we don't have to run this life out of a sense of necessity and obligation. We run it with a sense of purpose because we follow a living Savior. And He's actively at work in your life and in the lives of others. Let this Easter 2021 be the year that your life is made alive again and filled with joy. So my friends, what is your purpose? May your life be run with the purpose of proclaiming that Jesus Christ is risen and with the expectation that you desire for your friends and family to know that through the way you live your life. One of my favorite hymns ends with these words. Death could not keep his prey, Jesus, my Savior. He tore the bars away, Jesus, my Lord. And up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph o'er his foes. He arose a victor from the dark domain. And he lives forever with his saints to reign. He arose, he arose. Hallelujah, Christ arose. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you give us a purpose by which to live this life. A purpose to follow the risen Savior and to live out our life to showcase that our Savior lives. We want to proclaim through our actions and through our words to our friends and our family that you rose from the dead you conquered death to give us eternal life and eternal life can be had for all those who place their trust in you father if there are those who are living their lives out of a sense of obligation and necessity there's no joy in their life they are frustrated because they believe that the christian life is for them to only obtain spiritual accolades. Father, I pray that they would see what it means when a life transformation is rooted in the understanding and the foundation that we serve a risen Savior. May your Holy Spirit begin that work of transformation, perhaps this Easter 2021. May those who have heard your words be blessed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.